Well, we are right smack in the middle of, we are actually now past the halfway point of our nine-week series on gospel-centered life. And um, I hope that you've been uh, blessed by our time in the Word. I hope that for those of you in family groups, you've been blessed by your time in the Word with each other in a smaller setting than this. I know God uses times like that. I'm amazed at how two people show up and open the Word of God and begin to read it, hear it, pray through it, how much it changes our lives, how much it transforms our lives. If you're not involved in a type, I mean, if you're not in family groups right now, but you're not even in that type of uh, relationship anywhere where you sit down with the Word of God, I'd encourage you to do that. It doesn't have to be a program. It could just be a couple people, a couple friends getting together. Trust God to show up. He always does. He's so faithful to us. But I wanted to ask this week, as I ask every week, for those of you who are in a family group right now and who are going through the material together, um, what was your week like? Anything to report? Yeah. Um, just the, how astounding it is that repentance is a daily walk that we're, uh, that we're not intended just to do when things get really bad or reserved for conversion, and that God intends us to do that without shame. Repent without shame. <laughs> Shameless repentance. That's right. Daily, often. Yeah. You know, one of the struggles we had this week was illnesses have just been, you know, everything has been affected, right? Schools, and I know a couple of the groups didn't even meet this week because some people were out sick or whatever. So, so now we're going to get in this really weird time where some groups can be ahead and some groups can be behind, and it's going to be a lot of fun now for those groups who are journeying at different points with us. Well, we're going to start this week, and I wish I had my question up there. Maybe Amanda's going to fix this maybe for us. But uh, the question that we've been asking every week is this. What is the gospel? The power of God revealed to Jesus Christ. The power of God to Jesus Christ. I like the way you think. Yeah. Where is that from? From you? <laughs> from the Lord. It's from the Lord, isn't it? Yeah. It's also from Romans. It's, that's right out of Romans, too. We talked about that. What, is, what, is, what do we talk about? The first three weeks of the series, we talked about what the gospel is. Remember? Paul wrote to the church where? In Corinth. Where is it found in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 15. That's right. 1 Corinthians 15. Don't turn there, but... Paul confesses there. He tells the church in Corinth, remember the first thing I told you about this Jesus, the first thing is the, first, the most important thing, that Christ died for our sins, that he was raised in the third, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day, and then he appeared to us. You know what's amazing to me is not much has changed in that confession of faith for 2,000 years. There's lots of things that we'll, you know, discuss passionately about Jesus' birth and Jesus' life until the scripture began to speak about him and other things that could have happened, maybe happened. And yet the truth is that the, the confession that we hold is the same thing that Paul holds, which is that Jesus died for our sins. He says what? According to scripture, he was buried. And on the third day, he was raised to life according to scripture. And then he appeared to us. If Christ hadn't appeared to me, I wouldn't be here with you today. I have better things to do before I knew Jesus. 
on a Sunday morning, like sleep. That was one thing I had better to do. It's the same confession that we share with Paul. We want to talk, though, this week also, the second place we can find a testimony about what the gospel is is in Romans, and Dale alluded to it a moment ago, Romans 1, 16. If we can pull that up, it's going to be in your uh, Bibles as well on page. Maybe we'll hit it, maybe we won't. Let's see. One more. 781, 781 if you didn't bring a Bible. By the way, if you didn't bring a Bible and you need one to, to go and do that study with someone else that I talked about a moment ago, take the one in your hand. If it's one of ours, we'd love you to have it. And take that and sit down over coffee with somebody and read the Word of God. We're going to talk about a great place to start that in your life if you're not reading the Word of God today. But Paul, in the first chapter of Romans, verses 16 and 17, says this. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness... That is, by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith alone. So this gospel is the very power of God. We talked about that last week. It's the very dunamis, the very transformation, transforming power of the living God. It's the thing that changes us, that makes us new creations, a new heart. We're talking about that today as well. Today, though, I want to talk from this chapter here in Romans. I want you to see something about the gospel that I'm not sure that we always acknowledge. I'm not sure that we always understand. And we've been talking about it a few times already in the series, but it's this, that the gospel has a priority in your life. I don't mean the gospel is a priority in your life. I mean it has its own priority in your life. I want you to look in chapter 16, what it says. Paul says, I'm not ashamed because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And he talks about this priority, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Now, we talked about how Romans was written to this culture that was trying to figure out what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to be a Jew and be following this Jewish guy named Jesus who was the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And so Paul here confesses something about the gospel. He says, it's first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. That meant it was first to Jesus' own community. It was first to those that he was sent to proclaim the Messiahship to. And then it was for the whole world. And the whole thing became a burden for those because, first of all, they weren't really sure they wanted the Messiah anymore. I'm not sure that we do. And then secondly, they weren't sure that they wanted other people to have it. I'm not sure that we do sometimes. But the gospel has a priority in this way. The gospel is meant first for you. And then for others. You know, too many times we neglect that. We ignore it. Have you ever sat with somebody? Have you ever sat? Maybe it's this morning. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was, you know, somewhere else. Maybe you were driving in your car and listening to something on the radio. Or maybe you were flipping through the channels and you caught one of those TV preachers. Maybe you had an experience. And you were sitting there under the instruction of God that moment in your life. And this thought was going through your mind. Boy, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. They really need it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever sat through a worship service and you're sitting there and there's some guy up there and he's preaching the word and you're listening and all you can think is, boy, old Aunt Susie needs to hear this message. Boy, that crabby guy down the street needs to hear this message. Boy, that hoodlum who runs through the neighborhood. Boy, that person at work. Boy, that other person needs to hear the word of God proclaimed. I got news for you. You need to hear it. The gospel is first for you. Do you think God made a mistake that day? 
Do you think when the word's being proclaimed over you that God has somehow made a mistake and he's got the wrong guy or girl in the building? I'm telling you, I sat right there. I sat there and thought, man, I got I to gotta get a copy of this sermon and get it to this person because they need to hear it. Listen, it's first for you. It's first for me. And then it's for others. The gospel has a priority, and Paul says it there. It's the same exact thing in our own lives. First, we receive the gospel. First, we believe the gospel. First, we let the word speak to us, and then we allow it to speak to others in our lives. Too many of us run around proclaiming the gospel to others that we haven't applied to ourselves. I hope that's not you today. And you know, if it is, let's, let's have a little rebuke. God has us all here this morning to hear a word. Me too. All of us are here to hear from the living God today. Let's listen with ears to hear and eyes to see. So this morning we're going to talk about, we're going to kind of get into this week's lesson, but I, I want you to know that, that whatever we share this morning is for us first and foremost. It's shared for us. You know, we live in a time in our, in our culture where we have all kinds of choices we can make in life. All kinds of things you can do today. I mean, really, it's limitless. It's up to you. Have you ever taken a road trip and you're just driving, you know, it's like a Monday and you should be at work like everyone else, but you're not? And you're driving to wherever it is. I, sometimes we'll go to Florida, I'll go to Atlanta in one day. And it hits me halfway there. Do you know any day I could go to Atlanta? Any day I could go to Minnesota? Any day I could go to California? Any day, not just today. I made a choice this morning to get up and go and chose differently. I made a decision. I'm not sure if you, that strikes you at all as, as odd or interesting. It always strikes me because we act like we, we don't have a choice. Oh, I don't have a choice. We do. We have a lot of choices in life. Matter of fact, one of the things that sometimes we get in heated arguments about, heated discussions about, is our right to choose our own lifestyles. From what to, what to wear, how to dress, how to present ourselves, you know, um, who to be in relationships with, who not to be in relationships with, the kind of car we drive, the kind of house we live in, the kind of job we work. Everything becomes a choice of our lifestyle. What we choose to do. No one, no one is choosing for you. You choose it yourself. I was reading this article. It was funny because this morning we had uh, some folks who very kindly provided all kinds of yummy snacks, by the way. And thanks for that. The brownies and the cakes and stuff on your tables. And, and they said, I hope you're not preaching on discipline this morning. <laughs> we are. <laughs> and that's Okay. There was this article that I read, and it was, it was based on a study, and it said, here was the headline. It said, five lifestyle choices that save lives. Five things you can decide to do. They're called easy lifestyle choices that save lives. They're clinically proven to save lives. Here's a list, in case you're wondering what it is. First of all, don't smoke. Don't smoke. Secondly, exercise every day, Right? The third on the list is to, and this is the one that's going to get us this morning, eat wisely. That's the third on the list. Eat wisely. The fourth is to limit your intake of alcohol. And the fifth is to maintain a healthy weight. 
And you know what's interesting? These aren't, these aren't like moralistic things to say, hey, you ought to do this. These are things that they've clinically proven if we would just choose differently in our own lives, we would live longer. We would live healthier. As a matter of fact, you know what it's talking about? Heart attacks. You can prevent a heart attack with those five simple lifestyle choices that you make. Too often we act like we, we, it's genetics. You know what? I, I saw a study that said you can overcome your genetics with your lifestyle choices. That's surprising. We have a lot that we can say about the way we live, what we do. Well, sometimes, you know, we're going to talk this morning about something, and it's, it's this, uh, something we find in Jesus, and actually Greg alluded to it already. It's, it's this lifestyle of repentance, and that's what I want to talk to you about, the ability you have to choose to live a repentant lifestyle. And we're going to actually open the word this morning, but before we do, let's, let's go in prayer to our Father. Lord God, we thank you this morning for an opportunity to come and open your word. We already appreciate uh, what is speaking into our lives. And today, Lord, if this is the only time, maybe in our whole lives, maybe this week, that we're going to open your word, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would have us with open minds and open hearts, hearing you speak, Lord God, listening for you to speak into our lives. And today, Lord, whatever work is to your glory, whatever uh, rebuke, Father God, is for our good, and we love you and thank you and trust you with it. Add a blessing to your word this morning. Work in our lives for your glory. We love you and thank you and pray these prayers confidently in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark. I told you earlier, you know, if you've not begun to read the Bible, if you've not begun to uh, um, study the Word together with somebody, a great place to start is in the Gospel of Mark. There's a few reasons for this. You know, the Bible is divided into two segments. It's the First Testament and the, and the New Testament, and they're divided about that, like 60-40, right? A lot of people start in Genesis to read the Word, and they get kind of bogged down in, like, you know... Um, Leviticus or Numbers or somewhere in there, you kind of get lost in it. Start, starting in Mark is a great way because it's, it's very much where we find ourselves in our lives. Uh, it's a narrative, and it's the first narrative recorded of the good news of Jesus Christ. There's four Gospels in the Bible, we know that, but the one that, that was written first was Mark. It was recorded. It's the shortest book. It's very direct, and it's kind of written to write where we are as Gentile believers. It was written... With us in mind. So the word of the so if you're going to start a study, it's a great place to start. It's in the book of Mark. I'll just say that. By the way, it changed my life reading this book. Mark changed my life forever. So I'm going to start. I just want to read this together, and then we're going to talk about a few verses here. But I'm going to start right at the beginning. So if this is maybe the beginning of your Bible reading program, here we're going to do it together. Chapter one, verse one says this: the beginning of the gospel. That's the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare for the Lord, make, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people in Jerusalem went out to him and confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptized you with water, 
but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he, he saw heaven being torn apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended to him. Now after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of God. And it's not just the word of God. It's not just the gospel recorded by Mark of Jesus Christ, but it actually captures for us the very first words that were put in the mouth of Jesus, the very first words that are recorded of him speaking to his disciples. Now, if you know anything at all about Christianity, you know that the whole rest of the book becomes about this guy named Jesus of Nazareth, this guy named Jesus the Christ the Messiah, the anointed one. And everything in the word and everything in the thousands of years since has been about Jesus redeeming the world. As a matter of fact, when you go back and you read, the reason you start in Mark is you read here, you read through the, first, the New Testament and you go back to the First Testament and it all begins to make sense. We can see all the prophets like Isaiah saying, he's coming, he is coming, he is coming, and he's here. And so we have here this opening of the story of Jesus, this narrative, the good news of the gospel. And the first words that Jesus says to us, and by the way, it's interesting, he goes, and it's after his friend John is in prison that he begins to preach the good news. You know, the first thing it says here, it says, the time has come, Jesus said. If you want to do a really interesting study, and this is, this is probably not for those of you who have not read the Bible yet, you're welcome to do it too, is, is look at Daniel 2. You might want to write that down. Daniel 2 actually begins to tell the story of the time that is coming, the kingdom that is coming. And whenever Jesus begins to proclaim the gospel, the kingdom of God being near, he's referring to this prophecy in Daniel chapter 2. I would encourage you to read it. It's very interesting. We don't have time this morning to get into it, but uh, it, was, it was very interesting to read. So here we have Jesus in his first words and I just want to ask you a very simply, very straightforward question here. What were the first words that Jesus said here in the Gospel of Mark? He said, the time has come, right? We've got that. The kingdom of God is near. It's very near to us right now, wherever you are in your life. And then what does he say? Huh? It's in all your Bibles. It says the same thing as mine. <laughs> Yeah, what? Repent and? Yeah, repent and believe. Repent and believe. And you know, these words, these simple words become the cornerstone of our faith in Christ. By the way, I want you to notice that this is before he calls any disciples to follow him. This is before he has throngs of people who he's healing. This is before anything else happens in his life. The first thing that Christ says to us is repent and believe. And he says it here in the Gospel of Mark, and it's recorded. I want to talk for a moment about the word repentance and what it means, because we, a lot of us have negative connotations, you know. It, it reminds us of, as the book said this week, being called into the principal's office on a Friday afternoon. You Being called in the boss's office on a Friday afternoon. It, it, it reminds us of being called on the carpet. It's not a pleasant thought. 
Greg said, repent without shame. Repent without fear. Repentance is actually the idea of changing our mind. And I know we've talked before about how repentance means to go 180 degrees the other direction, and it's absolutely true. It means to change your direction in life. But I want to tell you this morning that you have to change your mind before you can change your life. You have to change your choices. You have to change your thinking. And I'll go a step further. You can't do it without the power of God. God will change you. God will transform you. This idea of repentance means thinking differently. Think differently about it. And if you're not there right now, if you can't believe in Jesus, at least start to think differently about life. Ask bigger questions about God than you're asking right now. Allow the truth to speak to you instead of you always trying to speak to truth. The word repentance, it means to... um, to choose differently. It's actually got the root word gnosko. That's why I say I would love to say it's about action. It's about, it's about doing something different. And it is. But it's first about changing your mind. You know, before you ever turn your head to look at a sound, you know you've already made the thought in your head. Something's happened up here. You hear someone call your name behind you. You don't just turn. It's, 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 it's response to your thinking. The first thing in our lives that has to be right is thinking rightly thinking rightly about the world that we live in, about our situation, about the God who created us. The word gnosko means knowledge. It it literally means thinking about things differently, knowing differently. Come to know your life differently. This is the first step, the first step. And I would say, too, you know, pray a dangerous prayer. One of the next steps this week says, ask God to get my thinking straight. Ask God to set my mind straight. Because we can continue in our lives, even after we've known Christ, to choose wrongly, to think wrongly. And we need to be giving over our thoughts. The word says what? Capture every thought and make it obedience to Christ, right? Think differently. That's what we're called to do. Repent. Repent is the first word. The second word is just this one here. Repent and believe, right? Now, this belief actually is something, I think we always get these wrong. We think repentance is action and belief is, is head knowledge. Repentance is head knowledge and belief is action. Does that make sense? Here's where it is. The, the word believe comes from the word pistis, and it means faith. Pisteo, right? It means to give someone credit, to trust them, to believe them. You see, our faith is never proven by what we think or what we say. It's always proven by what we do. I'll give you an example of this. So many of you know last week, I was very sick last week. And I wasn't hugging anybody. I, was, I, was, I hadn't gone to see the doctor yet. I was afraid I might get people sick. So I was giving out their elbows and I was standing six feet away talking to you. It was a really weird Sunday for me, right? Well, I went to the doctor on Tuesday and he says, you're not, he called it shedding viruses anymore, Right? You're virus-free. Your body's healing itself, and you're on the road to recovery. And I said, praise God. I'm so glad to hear it, because I wasn't sure I was ever going to get better. That's what I felt, right? You're no longer infectious. That's what he told me. So this morning, I showed up, and I couldn't wait to get some hugs, you know? I couldn't wait to shake hands. I I couldn't wait to squeeze. I I couldn't wait. And and you know what happened? Someone said, are you better? (laughs) 
And I said, yeah, I'm better. How do you know? I said, my doctor told me. You know what they, I kid you not, what they said? I'm not sure I believe that. They didn't have faith in my doctor. They didn't believe what he said was true. You know how I knew? They wouldn't hug me, wouldn't shake my hand, wouldn't come near me. I don't blame you for it. But I'm saying that our actions prove what we believe. And their belief was stronger in the fear of an affection than it was in the truth of what the doctor had said. Same is true for everything in our lives. We can say we believe a lot of things, but if we're not living it out, if we're not doing it in our lives, then it's not behavior-related it's not belief at all. We're self-deceived. You believe what you do, and you do what you believe. I'll give you another example. This is something that maybe, you know, I don't know where you're at on it. Seatbelts. You know, we have signs where it says, seatbelts save lives. Buckle up. It's the law. But I know many of us just think, nah, not really. I mean, I don't think it'll really save me, will it? And so we choose differently. We make a choice in our life. We don't believe. We don't believe it. Well, one of the next steps this week is this, and then we're going to talk about repentance and what this means to repent, but I wanted to talk about this living out our life of faith, and this is it, that we would demonstrate our trust in Christ by how we choose to live life. If your life is not a testimony to how you're believing in God, if you're trusting Christ, then you have to examine yourself and wonder, am I really trusting him at all? My brother-in-law, one time he told me, he said, uh, he said, we can trust God with big things, eternal life, salvation, our prayers, our heart concerns, but I can't trust God with my bills. I can't trust God with my job or my career. I can't trust God to fix my marriage. And it really hit him, and it hit me when we were talking about that moment, how we don't trust God in everything of our life. We live as if we don't believe, and therefore we don't believe. We're not believing if we're not living it out. So the two words become this, repent and believe, repent and believe. And as, as Greg already alluded to, this becomes a lifestyle of repentance for a believer in Christ. It's not once for all you already repented. It means when you realize that you're thinking wrongly and God convicts you of it, you change your mind. You choose to think differently. And then you live differently out of your faith. So here's what we're going to talk about. Here's what I want to talk about next here. And this is from the material. It's genuine repentance and what it looks like because too many of us think repentance means getting called on the carpet or being punished or, or something like that. And genuine repentance has a few things that, that are different for a Christian than anyone else. And here, here's the first. Genuine repentance is always oriented towards God. It's always oriented towards God, Right? And that might sound crazy because you would say, you know what? I, I didn't fail God. I failed my children. I, I didn't fail God. I failed my coworker. I failed my spouse. But genuine repentance isn't directed towards that person. It's directed towards God first and foremost. Why? Why not just go and apologize to that person and make it better? Because if you're repentant, you understand that there's something that you failed in the eternal God in that situation. I'll give you an example. You know what the word says about you and I? It says we're created in his image. It says he knit you together in your mother's womb. 
And therefore, whenever I sin against you, whenever I fail you, I actually fail the very image of God, the very creation of God, this thing that he loves, this, this being, this person that he's poured himself into. He loves so much, and I have failed him in failing you. So the sin becomes a sin against God. The psalmist records, and by the way, a great psalm, I know that the read this week is, is Luke, and that's a good reading too, but you might want to read the Psalm 51 this week if you have time. The 51st Psalm is an amazing testimony uh, for many, many reasons, not the least of which it's written by David, and it's written right after a ton of sin is revealed in his life. And he repents in it. I would encourage you to read that. But in that psalm, it says, I have sinned against you alone, God. Against you I have sinned. And think, well, we sin against each other, but we can fix it, and it'll be okay. We'll get away with it. And we've still sinned against God. So first and foremost, our repentance is God-oriented. God-oriented. No matter what it is in life, because everything, the earth is God's and everything in it, anything that we're doing here that we're doing wrongly is a sin against God. So we repent of that sin with God. The second is this, and these got to be teased out a little bit, but this is it. That true repentance, a genuine repentance, is motivated by sorrow, not regret. Now you might be like me and say, well, what's the difference between sorrow and regret? I mean, what does it matter you know, repentance is repentance, right? Here's the difference. Regret is very much about you're sorry because you got caught. You regret the decision. If I had to do over again, I would not have done it that way. Why? Because I got, I got caught. I got busted. It hurt. It didn't work. It was a failure. And that's great. But that's not repentance, because repentance is based on sorrow. It's based on a concern, not necessarily, first and foremost, for what happened, but for the reasons that it happened in my life. Sorrow, sorrowful repentance is much more about acknowledging our sinfulness, understanding more fully what led us to our decision, and even more deeply than that, what motivated us to make that decision to begin with. So this kind of repentance isn't like the, the cheap and easy, sorry, I'll try, I'll try harder, I, I, I won't do it again, I've learned my lesson. You really start to examine your life. You know, this is a really rare thing to see in anyone's life. Most people, when they get caught, they just want to not get caught again. It's a rare thing to see somebody step back and reflect and say, man, what, what got me here? What in my life is so messed up that I end up making these choices? And in that place, they begin to become sorrowful for the way they, they're living, the way they are. In that place, God can work in our lives and begin to renew us. And this leads us to the third. Genuine repentance is concern with the heart not behavior. You know, when I talked about that a few weeks ago, I said, it's easy for us to clean ourselves up, to, to make ourselves uh, look good on the outside because that makes you feel more comfortable with me and I'm more comfortable around you, but the truth is that I'm still dead here. Nothing has really changed. And genuine repentance has to do with what's in our heart more than what's in our behavior and our results. 
In that same Psalm, Psalm 51, David says this. He cries out to God and he says, create in me a clean heart, right? And many of us know that song, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Give me a new heart, as we talked about last week, right? A whole new thing because this one's dead. It's broken. It's flawed. It's not yours. It's not after you. But I have something else that I wanted to bring to your attention. In the book of Matthew, Jesus actually says this about sin. He says, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. Do you ever hear yourself saying something and you can't believe you just said it? Man, that's a great opportunity for repentance in your life. It's a great opportunity for you to stop and think, what's going on inside of me that would make me say that, make me behave that way? The heart of the issue is what really matters. And then in this new life that we find in Christ, this new life of repentance, this lifestyle of repentance, we begin to live out of this new healed whole heart and life changes from the inside out. We talk about that all the time here at Family Bible Church, a transformation from the inside out, not the outside in. Outside in is false. True repentance is concerned with what comes out of our heart and therefore comes out of our lives. And the fourth is this. True repentance looks to Jesus. And I'll say that because there is no way to have peace with God except for Jesus the Christ on the cross. The reason that the whole book of the Bible is such a big deal, it's the word of God, it's not just another book. The reason that the New Testament is so profound is because it's trying to teach us something new about the First Testament and the promise of the coming Messiah. And in this place of trusting Jesus, looking to Jesus for deliverance, we can have not only success over the penalty of sin, which means your sins aren't held against you, but we have success over the power of sin in our lives. We can think rightly for the first time. We can choose rightly for the first time. Jesus' first words to us come much like his last, which is this. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I, I don't know where each and every heart is, but I know that you do. I, I know the, the sense that you've put in my life and in my heart, Father God, to respond to you, to, to love you, to, to learn more about you. Today, Father God, in the way that you're moving in our hearts, I pray we would know that it's you speaking to us. And if it's not you, Lord God, I pray we wouldn't hear it. Father, if there's places in our lives we need to truly repent, we need to really change things, Father God, I pray we would come to you this morning through Jesus. I pray that we would trust what he has done for us. And today, Lord, I just, I don't know what's going on in every life here, but you do. Bring us into that place of healing. Bring us to that message of mercy that we found. Help us to know that we aren't being called in for punishment, We're being called in for grace, for healing, for hope. And may we, by your power, Father, may we, all, we have this lifestyle of repentance that we could continually submit and resubmit and resubmit to you. It would be like David with that contrite heart. Lord, we've failed you in so many ways. Create a new heart in me today. 
We thank you for the chance to open your word, to read, to pray, to get to know you, to hear you speak. And today, Lord God, I pray it's all to your glory and for our good. May your name be praised. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.